we're going to talk about our historical timeline and to the extent that it's been sort of manipulated and falsified. Now, I know your audience is no stranger to sort of esoteric topics and kind of outside of the box thinking in a way that most people don't even want to go near. But I think even they too will find what we have to say pretty shocking and outrageous um, as far as the extent of the fraud of our history. The, and the timeline was compressed. So all these events that we know of, the Trojan War, the idea of um, the Egyptian, you know, the building of the pyramids, all these things did happen, but they happened much closer to us. They, they weren't, and what happened is Scaliger, who was a um, French, uh, scholar slash historian he he was kind of the father of our history he essentially took these stories that happened in the middle ages and he just pushed them back thousands of years before we get into the show i want to share with you the z stack a powerful immunity building vitamin pack formulated by Dr. Zelenko, the founder of the Zelenko Protocol. Many of you may have seen my interview with Dr. Zelenko explaining how the combination of quercetin and vitamin C together is a powerful zinc ionophore gun which delivers zinc, the bullet, into the cell where the virus is. Zinc blocks the virus from getting into the cell. Quercetin and vitamin C together are a safe over-the-counter alternative to hydroxychloroquine. Access to this is needed when government restricts and bans effective treatments. Also, it has been established that high normal levels of vitamin D is important for warding off sickness and staying out of the hospital. With the dangers of the COVID shot, we need a strong immune system to keep from getting sick. The danger is getting sick. That's when the effects of the bioweapon shot takes over. The Z-Stack will provide you with a defensive weapon to fight a potential virus. You can see the studies and also buy yours today at the link below or at sarahwestall.com under shop. I also highly recommend C60 gel caps, daily zeolite detox, and my probiotic greens to maintain a healthy body, all of which you can get at my shop at sarahwestall.com under shop. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. This is part two of this absolutely fascinating discussion that I'm having. And I, I want to tell you that don't let anybody t convince you that you're a whack job simply because you want to look into these facts and try to figure it out. The worst thing are people criticizing you and making fun of you because you're looking into to actual facts that exist. The last thing you want to do is put a blindfold on and say, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Yep, your narrative is accurate. Because it's so clear with so many things that we're finding that the narrative just isn't accurate. The true history is different than what we've been presented. I don't know what it is, but to ignore the information in front of us and ignore facts is crazy. And it's, it's just not how you learn. And so we should not allow people to bully us into thinking that looking at facts and looking at information is only something that a, a whack job conspiracy theorist does because it's just simply not true. This is part of the learning process. And for those of, for those people that they want to bully and make you feel small or like a weirdo just because you're looking into other facts, those are the people who are weird 
or that are closed-minded because that's just not how learning works. There's nothing wrong with exploring and figuring things out. Okay, I want to tell you, for those of you that are writing this off as if there isn't any facts, that's fine, but I want you to look at Anatoly Fomenko's website. It's chronologia.org. I have the link below. I also have it here in the video. Go there. Look at it. I guess um, he has most of it translated to English. This guy is a scholar, very well respected in Russia. And look at the information they have. Is it bogus? I don't know. Is it good? I don't know. But it's a source. It's a data point. It's something that we should look at and put into our library of ideas and look at different perspectives. If you don't do that, then you're not truly learning and you're not a legit scholar in your own right. Or if those are the people, historians that want to write this off, you're not a true historian. You're pretty much saying, I'm only going to believe certain things and I'm going to ignore and put blindfolds on for other things. So true scholars and historians will look at this and look at this information and figure it out. And if you're not going to do that, then you're just not a legit historian. We can't let people convince us of things that we know is true. This is just common sense. So enough of that. If this is information that's out there, there's facts that, that's out there. I want to look at it. I want to figure it out. I want to figure out how it works within what true history is. And anything other than that is bogus. That's bogus historical fact or research. You're not a true historian. That I had to get out there. Okay, before we get into this interview, I just want to remind you to go to sarahwestall.com and sign up for my newsletter. And also, if you haven't seen part one of this, look for part one because this is part two. And I think you will really enjoy this. So here's part two of my conversation with Scott and James. Well, yeah. it's, this, and this is so interesting because what we need is more scholars to get in and start analyzing what we can of Tartaria, get more documents so that other people can put some theories behind all this stuff and see what is, I mean, obviously we're pointing out all these weird anomalies and issues and, and you know, and listening to somebody's theory on it, but it definitely points to the fact that what we've been taught isn't true. And here's one um, theory that's plausible based on some of the data and facts we have. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I look at that and go, well, geez, I mean, maybe that wasn't, that theory isn't accurate either, but it, all it does is show what we're hearing now is that this whole thing is not accurate and that this is plausible, but we need more data. I, to me, that says, I, we need some more data here. We need more information, but this is cool. I mean, this it's is really, so it's, it's really, it's really hard to get, to get uh, traditional historians. You know, this is the part of the, this is why this subject remains in the dark or not so much in the dark, but it, it kind of is easily dismissed and looked at as pseudoscience or pseudo history. Is that, you know, well, I mean, scholars, historians are following Scaligerian timeline. I mean, they're, they have been given this timeline and they will die on their shield to protect it. They will, they will, the only people who will really talk about an alternative are going to be people like Graham Hancock or others who are willing to kind of take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute you know, these, this, this stuff isn't adding up, you know, and why are we, why do we keep holding on to this? Why are we not willing to maybe look at 
our society in a different light or look at our history as a civilization in a different light. Um, so yeah, it's been challenging. And why aren't we questioning things like Tartaria and why has it been disappeared off the maps? And why is, I mean, a good historian would still look at that stuff and go, wait a minute, there's something off here. Even it, it's, it, but you know, we're looking at that now with what made me realize that it's so easy to, and it would be easier in the, in history, you know, when people didn't have, weren't as literate and things, but now look at what they do with, they just decide what is true. And then they keep saying it over and over on the news and the media and make it true, even though we all know it's false. And 20 years from now, it's kind of like 9-11 over and over and over and over again. What will people a hundred years from now really think of 9-11? You know, I mean, if they say it over and over and over again in all the media, all the textbooks, all the historic books that they're allowed to have, you know, they have to do some more cleaning up of some of this, these people questioning 9-11, which is a big pushback. But think if there wasn't that big pushback because it was, we were more in history where they had more control over that. People couldn't write as much. They yeah, could easily I mean, just write out 9-11 in a hundred years from now. Yeah. We're watching it happen real time, you know, um, in terms of like uh, when, when information gets centralized, like digitally in a cloud, it's pretty easy to just evaporate that cloud, you know? And I think, yeah. And I think we're kind of experiencing a lot of parallels to what went on hundreds of years ago, you know, in, in the turn of the eight, in the, in the late 1700s, 1800s is when you, you saw a ton of, um, destruction and physical destruction of actual libraries and burn book burnings. And, you know, it's, it, it's, and it continues today, but it's just in a digital form. I mean, we can see how they're changing Wikipedia will just completely, you know, I mean, it's totally, totally defunct now. Everyone knows Wikipedia is a joke. I mean, in terms of its veracity and its ability to like be trusted because, certain individuals, donors can go in and just simply change the information. And then that becomes truth. That's exactly right. right. I've been asked to do a Wikipedia page many times. And I've, you know, my uh, people I'm, I'm close to my family, they do not want me to do one because of just how it puts yourself out there to now have really negative things out there about you, you know? And so I've just keep declining wanting to do a Wikipedia page because of the propaganda and the falsehoods they attach to those things. Yeah. I mean, James, can you show, just so we can clarify, there's a lot of people online that are jumping on the Tartarian bandwagon in terms of they're kind of connecting flat earth and Tartaria and they're, 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 it's like, there's a lot of, um, opportunists, I think, jumping in on this. And I think what, what I'd like to show is that this empire did exist. It is a real thing. It's not, this isn't some, you know, made up kind of um, idea of Atlantis or something, which has, that has some actual merit as well. But maybe you could show some of the iconography from um, depicting the empire itself, like not just the maps, but yeah, some of the flags, the the uh yeah i mean listen this was it was known that this was an empire uh up until the 17 1800s and it was sort of looked at as a 
country. Here you go, you have an atlas, map of atlas, and here you see uh, Tartary, the flag is right up there with every other country. And if you sort of go to Wikipedia and you look at the, their explanation of what Tartaria is, they, they just tell you it's a vast tract of land of, of sort of nomadic people. It wasn't an empire. But there, there is tons of, of proof that it was an empire. I mean, it was referred to as an empire. It was a, referred to as a sort of the, the center of arts and sciences in the, a lot of these old books. Uh, great resources, archi um, ar archive.org that has tons of these old books when you just look in Tartaria. Um, here's uh, sort of, uh, here's uh, one of the great cons right here. The grand con of the empire of Tartari, Tartary. And we're told that these are sort of like Mo Mongol, uh, Mo descendants of modern day uh, Mongolia that conquered the world. And it's, and it's not the case. And there's tons of like, it goes on forever of, of historical books that refer to this as an empire. I think the, um, the Cyclopedia Britannica uh, in 1771 has um, as the Muscovite Tartary is the, the largest country on earth and it's listed right there as a country. So there's no, there's no denying that this was an empire. Why would something that was advanced and starting to really grow and be beautiful better for humanity it seems there is an evil element that took it down or there's something bad that took it down. People, if it was a more enlightened group, they would be okay with people breaking off. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, I'm trying to get an idea of why, how humanity fell that far when it was that enlightened, you know, who, what happened? But maybe you don't know. I mean, that's what we have more work to do is figuring yeah. out this history. You know, that's the work. It's this is just the beginning of us trying to recover our history of what really is going on here. Can you take us through that thousand years? Because that is absolutely. Yeah, I'll do it real quick. It seems like there's a whole history yeah, again, behind Tartaria that we don't know because they do, they just eliminated those resources for us. Yeah, and this is a quick summary of Fomenko's reconstruction. Uh, you guys could dig, people at home could dig into this, and all his all his work is available online. So I encourage even skeptics to start start looking at this. But so as a, as a, as we were about a thousand years ago, there was a sort of Mediterranean kingdom with its capital in Alexandria. Sometime during the ten hundreds, this moved to outside of Istanbul, Euros, which is about twenty miles north on the Bosphorus. And this kind of happened as trade between East and West became more prevalent. And this is where you get the, uh, the Christ figure uh, coming up in the 1100s. And so if you look at this King Andronicus, who we're saying was the inspiration for Christ, um, history kind of paints him as sort of a tyrant, but Fomenko says this guy was a reformer, anti-corruption reformer, and he was beloved by the, the, uh, the common people, but hated by the nobility. And the noble class in this city sort of crucified him uh, on Joshua Hill uh, near the uh, Euros Fortress, which is, which is still there. And this created sort of a um, an outrage among both the, both the common people and the, and Jesus's royal relatives, which we kind of uh, talked about earlier as the sort of the Bacchanalian royal brand of Christianity. And what they did. Um, is in this in his ancestral royal home up in Russia, they formed a large army because this was the this sort of 
central Russia was the, the big, it was a big population center because you could grow lots of food and uh, you could forge weapons by burning forests for fuel. So they, what they did is they formed a large army and they, uh, they sieged this, uh, this sort of Constantinople, Euros, Istanbul, and it created sort of a, uh, a huge war. The, so the nobles that were sort of responsible for the uh, crucifixion, they fled into Europe. And, and what happened was that this capital was in ruins. Uh, so this uh, nobility, they, they moved the capital up in Yaroslavl, uh, Russia. And what then, and there Fomenko says there was the formation of what we would think of as the Mongol Empire. And Mongol just doesn't mean Mongolia. It meant great. It means comes from the word Mogul. And, uh, and Mongol just meant great land. Genghis Khan was just the great leader. And this, and what they did is they formed a large, uh, large military cavalry, several hordes, but uh, Scott was talking about the different sort of armies. And they invaded east and west from the central point in Russia. So they invaded into China and they invaded into Europe. And in the 1300s, they made it all the way up to England. And this was kind of what we think of as the sort of a classical antiquity was this first wave of invasion uh, coming from the central Russia into, and you could see the architecture, that you could see a sort of uh, consistency in the architecture of this time. Um, and it was sort of, Fomenko says this was a very prosperous era in the, in the, uh, in the empire, it was kind of the golden age. And as it, um, as it progressed through the 13 and 1400s, uh, and the trade routes increased and everything, you started to see the prevalence of a lot of disease, a lot of, um, well, Scott was talking about the venereal disease, and this sort of royal, this royal core was trying to stamp that out. And one of the first things they did was they created a, um, a separate uh, border between the north and south, which I have right here. Um, it's a. Um, I think it's interesting so that everything... a king existed that actually matches close to the Jesus character, which is pretty interesting. Keep going. Yes, and um, so so around the 1450s, they they created two states for one empire. One, uh, the southern state below this line is what we think of today as the Ottoman Empire, and mm -hmm. sort of uh, north of that is sort of your your uh, main Tartaria sort of core and this did not sort of quell the the disease and the um and the plagues and stuff and what happened is they in the 1400s they both they launched another invasion which was more brutal than the first one and it what it did was it sort of uh tried to get rid of the sort of uh, orgiastic sort of bacchanalian royal uh side of the, of the Christian era, like, and it sort of uh, prompted uh, more a conservative um, version of Orthodox, a more conservative uh, version of uh, Islam around this time. And it was kind of in conflict with the sort of uh, the West and France and Italy where this sort of pagan version of Christianity was flourishing, flourishing. So it was kind of a conflict with one another. And so, so during the, the 14, 1500s is sort of there's a brutal sort of war between it which Fomenko says is actually the uh, the inspiration for the biblical apocalypse where it sort of uh, separated the righteous from the sinners and they were told that they would be a brutal 
uh, brutal conquering again if they did not shape up. And this sort of led to the idea that the apocalypse would happen in the future. And so this created sort of a big rift uh, between the West and this Eastern Empire. And during sort of what we have is the Reformation Wars, um, they were using sort of Protestantism, uh, the Protestant sort of um, ideas to sort of justify to the populations for breaking free of this great empire. And that sort of led to, um, let's see, I got some notes. It sort of led to a lot of division, a lot of civil war, and there's sort of an internal coup in the early uh, 1600s that uh, led to the Romanovs taking power um, in this main, uh, this main Tartarian capital. And what's, what happened was that everything in the east, uh, east of the Urals, became independent and everything, I'm sorry, everything east of um, the Ural Mountains in Russia remained Tartaria. And everything sort of west of Moscow was kind of in this allied, um, this allied sort of different nations, these sort of independent nations that were just becoming, getting their independence for the first time. And it was up until the uh, 1775, where uh, the Romanovs finally defeated the rest, the, the, the Tartarian, the rest of the Tartaria, and was able to roll it up all the way up to the Pacific. And it, in 70, it was called Pukachev's Rebellion. It was sort of, uh, it's kind of uh, told to us as it was a peasant revolt, but uh, Fomenko says this was actually the great war between the the West and the Tartarian Empire that led to its uh, final fall. And once uh, once its capital was overthrown, then you had something in, in the US, the American Revolution, which was sort of, he, he looks at it as sort of a competition between the America colonies and the British Empire for these lands, which they could not access until the empire fell in the East. So he kind of, mm. that sort of brings us into modern history. It's sort of a nut, it's sort of a very truncated explanation. Because Tartaria was all over the United States. And so it was really a competition. Mm. He's saying a competition for the for United States by a group of colonists and England. And England lost, apparently. Yeah. See, well, he points out that um, that the, the English colonies in America were kind of confined to the eastern seaboard for hundreds of years until this uh, this empire fell, which gave them the opportunity to move west. They didn't. They, he claims that they didn't move west um, immediately, colonizing because they couldn't because it wasn't their land. Wow. Okay, that actually makes sense based on the maps that you showed me. Yeah, you can see maps from the seventeen late seventeen hundreds of um, what would be the West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, up to Alaska. And all it says on the maps are parts unknown, um, meaning like completely off limits. Like no one, you know, there was no migration there. Um, and that's, I think that's the interesting part about this is going into these old encyclopedias and digging out these, these you know, images and these uh, data points and it it starts to really kind of fit into what Fomenko's talking about and um so yeah I mean that's it's it's a hard pill to swallow for people everything everything you dig into you keep seeing facts that confirm it not that tell you that this isn't true is that accurate pretty much yeah um, let me let me give you an example, uh, Sarah. This is um, I love this painting. This is um, this is a battle, a Julius Caesar battle, 
uh, for, now this is the Battle of Alicia during the Gaelic Wars of France, uh, in France during the Roman Empire. And if you can look up the Battle of Alicia, they said it occurred in the um, in 51, 52 AD. And here is a 1533 uh, reconstruction of that battle. And as you can see, um, once you get into it, this does not look like a 51 AD sort of battle. You got cannons, you have uh, medieval knights, you have guns, people shooting guns, uh, and you have the double eagle, which is the, which was the symbol of this Tartarian empire, which is found all over the world. So it kind of shows you just, just in the middle ages that they had no concept of this sort of, sort of pagan Roman empire as we see it today. Uh, and there's tons of this. Oh, anything that you, sort of describes Rome that that's, comes from the 1500s, it looks very medieval. They, they had no concept of, of, uh, of sort of a, a sort of, you know, togas and yeah, and sort of what we think of sort of is. So, so yeah, so there's tons of this. And, it, and it's, anybody could start digging in and they start looking at this and it makes more and more sense. Okay. Now I have two things that I want to dig into a little bit. Um, well, the first one is, have you found on in, in these maps anything to do with Antarctica? Um, well, not necessarily in, in terms of Flamenco, but uh, I'm, I'm familiar with Grand Han Grand Graham Hancock's sort of uh, take on it, where there's a lot of old maps that, that do show Antarctica. Yeah, they do. And uh, I, I'm, familiar, I'm familiar with Antarctica and other aspects. It's very interesting. Yeah. How long ago then is Antarctica in the picture of history? Because these old maps show Antarctica perfectly. And then we weren't able to, with our modern technology until this past century, reconstruct those, what Antarctica is. But they were able to do it, to do it you know, 500 years ago or a thousand years ago. Yeah. And there's theories that, um, you know, these maps were copied from uh, like really ancient maps. Um, I think Graham Hancock cites a uh, particular map where it has Indonesia as a large landmass, um, which it only would have been during the Ice Age. Um, so there's a possibility that these maps could have been um, copied from much older ones that they're now lost. Um, I've read some of the debunking on some of these Antarctica maps. Uh, there's one, the Perry Reese map, which yeah gets uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, Sarah. It's the yeah, one. It's, yeah. it's, it's the famous one, and that one I have kind of come to see that um, they've compared that with, where you think you're looking at Antarctica actually lines up closely to just the coast of South America. Oh, just I sort see. of distorted. But there's other maps with them. There's other maps that show large uh, land masses uh, at the bottom, and some. You know, some of the skeptics say, you know, it was theoretical that the uh, the poles would be covered with ice. Therefore, they were they were depicted as uh, ice land masses. Um, I, I really don't have a concrete answer for you on that. Okay, interesting. So that the the verdict still up in the air on whether they really did know whether Anta you know, the true formation of Antarctica. I'm sure that um, I, I I personally believe that the, the they were. A lot more seafaring that we uh, were led to believe, and I'm sure they knew it was there before. I think it was officially discovered in the 1850s by Russian explorers, as far as what the official history is. But I'm sure they knew it was there before then. Yeah, I'm sure on that. I'm just more curious on the exact, you know, formation of it because you know that 
the map showed it in such detail that we weren't able to do that detail till later. And that's what I think is very curious. But let's, the other big thing that I wanted to get into, because it doesn't seem like Antarctica really has any, it, it might have more ties, but we don't have the historical documents and stuff to, yeah. we, we need more information on this. But the other thing is the technology. What did you uncover about some of this technology that they had that we have lost and are just rediscovering? Well, one uh, one thing that Fomenko goes into is um, synthetic stone. Uh, he's, he says the philosopher's stone was actually just sort of a form of concrete. It was literally scientific stone. And um, a lot of what we think of as megalithic uh, works where they were cut, cutting and, and dragging these huge stones were actually just sort of uh, poured concrete forms. Mm -hmm. And so that's one aspect of it. And um, she sort of had the, uh, you know, the walls of Saxe Woman. Um, he, um, Flamenco cites that the pyramids are, are themselves concrete forms and that they weren't quarried, but none of the blocks were just quarried and shipped uh, hundreds of miles down the river. Oh, so that's his explanation of how they were able to create the pyramids mm -hmm. is because they were and form them and how the, the joints could be so perfect. Because they weren't yeah. quarried, they were poor. Yeah, huh? Okay. Yeah. Then another aspect which Manco doesn't really touch. It's sort of kind of an outside of his um, his realm is sort of atmospheric electricity, and how a lot of these sort of um, you see the towers, all these um, you see all these buildings in this sort of old world, huge towers, almost like a Tesla kind of tech. Um, yeah. Um, I have some, hold on, I have some. It's interesting, Tesla, the Nikolai Tesla grew he's Serbian, was Serbian. And Serbia is kind of right on the border with, of, of that line that we showed on that map of uh, East and West. So there's some theories it's, that Tesla had access to some of the ancient technology having to do with um, uh, atmospheric electricity, being able to suck electricity right out of the sky. Um, oh, so yeah, we have these interesting sort of uh, sketches of uh, sort of festivals. This was a, uh, I think, a fireworks festival in the 1700s in France. And, you know, you have stuff kind of up here that looks like uh, could be fireworks, but then you have things like this uh, in the 1700s and what was shooting lightning out and stuff. It's, um, and it's, it's actually established science that you can do this. I, um, we know that uh, the electrical charge increases the higher in the sky you go. And there's even um, sort of kids today that just, they, they build um, their own do-it-yourself atmospheric electricity where you could send a sort of wire on a drone and you send it to the sky and you could light a light bulb on the ground with it. So this, this is something real. And it was kind of, we're kind of suspecting that this was, this was known and this was sort of part of the technology that was sort of covered up as the sort of this reset happened. That's really interesting. Also, uh, cymatics, the, the design of the church. If you look at some of the Gothic cathedrals and how they're designed in terms of the stained glass and the, the patterns, um, these buildings actually have their own frequencies. Um, that's what, and um, there was an interesting story. I think it was from Fomenko talking about how when people had melancholy or what they call depression, right? Um, they would take people into the church, into the catacombs, and they'd put them in a, 
in complete darkness for a couple of days. They'd feed them and they'd bring them back out into the church at a certain time in the day where the light was shining through these, these patterns and they would play the organ, these massive you know, organs, and they'd play these notes and they'd take the blindfold off these people and they would have like this out of body kind of cleansing this complete psychological trip basically and they would be cured of their depression so and we know there's a lot of research going in right now into not just like you know psychedelics but but also uh, sound healing frequency healing yeah, frequency is a um, big part of so much that we he it's a future of medicine understanding frequency yeah it, it is it's yeah, the future well, yeah. past right the future yeah. past. how interesting is that okay and i so, mean even even things like even, go ahead keep going oh i'm sorry and like as far as james was talking about geopolymer cement it kind of you know you can look at some of um i don't know if you have those um sculptures that yeah, that yeah. tell you some of these sculptures that were done in the renaissance that are cannot be explained by a chisel and you start looking at if you think of taking like um, making powdered marble essentially and turning that into clay and uh and that's how you could achieve some of these sculptures like this one in particular now who thinks that's a guy taking a chisel to make that this one you can actually see injection molding holes on it you, you can see if you look close you can see laser cuts on the pyramids and things too the lace yeah my gosh yep yeah like the, the way fabric lays and stuff this one's pretty interesting you could see you could actually see the stitching on the um on the fabric it's so it's so detailed yeah that's not yeah and this is pompeii and you can look at the what you think is solid columns you've actually were sort of hollowed inside it was two different substances in the in the core and the outside they were just more advanced than people give them credit for so what about these mud floods i've had people who uh comment when i did the last to terry i saw some of the comments my thing and said that you have to talk about the mud floods when you're talking about Kateria. is that true and what does that mean well there was definitely something and i have i have tons of great mud flood images i could share with you right now um so again a lot of mystery around this. Um, I tend to think this is this falls in line with what we were talking about earlier about this early 1800s sort of uh, era of cataclysms. Um, let's see, and you can see just it's all over the world that there's a a complete world that's buried. Yeah, that is feet, really interesting. Know? Yeah, yeah go so back to that uh, last image. Yeah, I mean it's just there's that right there oh yeah oh. Uh, yes. and this is all over this, the world all over the world where there's a whole world underneath everything even mm -hmm. in the even in the u.s i mean is it like that here or not as much even in the u.s well so i i do look at sort of the debunking of this stuff and you know there's there's a couple things that, um that's that important that normal um so there's um in chicago and um seattle in the history there's a there were there's these uh street uh raising projects i guess in in chicago there's a big problem with the drainage where the where the sewage would back up because it was so flat so sometime in the 1800s they they decided to raise the street level on one story and you could have paid to have your um 
entire building jacked up and raised the street level, or you could have just, they could have just put up a brick wall on your first floor would have been inside of a basement. So that could have been a, um, a sort of logical explanation for how we're seeing these in, in, in the US. But I tend to think that, that the, the sheer amount of these, these flooded these uh, buildings were, see, look at this, the, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the, uh, it wasn't built like that. So at some point, a lot of stuff got just, just buried. Which would have been, are we saying this is the 1800 that during that period I, in the 1800s? My best guess is this would be the early 1800s where everything just sort of, you, you have this, it's like, a, it wasn't built like that. It wasn't built into the, the wall like that or into the rock. It wasn't? What, what, it was just a standalone building? Oh, well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying this is probably sort of a, probably buried in sort of some kind of slide or something. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you know, I, I think I think the mud flood, Tartaria, Fomenko, all these things are definitely kind of intermingling, and and they're super interesting to James and I. We've been, I mean, once you go down this, this is kind of the. It's hard not to keep going because it just keeps developing, and you start. It really does spark your imagination and. I think it's exciting for for people to realize that maybe you know maybe some of our issues we're facing now could be dealt with by looking in the past and seeing if we could only just get a true sense of a better sense of what really happened that might help us going forward um so that's I how i look at that. it yeah um, and and the know. fact that our history has been messed with we deserve to know really what our history is, but we need to have access to more documents and more information. I think what you are doing, what the Russian um, scholar has done and what people all over the world are trying to do is really exciting. You know, uh, starting to understand and piece this together. We know there was a Tartaria empire of some sort. We also have seen, this is crazy, bones of giants. You know, what the heck is that? Yeah. There's his, exactly. there's newspapers, you know, it's, well, that existed. Right, right, what right. is that? Yeah. Antarctica. <laughs> Why is there huge pyramids on Antarctica? You know, I mean, just all these really cool things that are just very interesting. So, but I agree with you. I think that there's also a whole segment of goofiness that's around this that can, um, we, we, it, it, this is a scholarly area that we could really dig into and try to understand our true history but then there's a lot of layers of goofiness that are put on top which is okay that comes yeah, with everything you know it's like okay um, it's well, fine. go ahead <laughs> you know, a lot of the work trying to to assess what's what was real and what's kind of you can't really hang your hat on so it's it's kind of it's kind of an ongoing process but don't you think it's okay Part of the brainstorming and figuring out phase, figuring things out might be because some of the goofiness ends up being true. I mean, like these giant bones. It's like, well, when I first saw it, I just thought, oh gosh, this is really out there. Somebody's having fun making up bones, you know? But no, there's all these newspaper articles and there's whole piles of bones. People were paid to get rid of bones and throw them out and, yeah, the and cover it up. The and Smithsonian got involved every time, you know? Yeah, it's so there's this there's this true history of that. Yeah, it's just inc 
incredible. I mean, the, 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 the proportions of the buildings are crazy. Yeah, the proportions are all bigger. And a lot of the artwork. Yeah, yeah. and there were definitely, yeah, tons and tons of, tons of articles of, uh, from New York Times even that we were talking about. <laughs> yes. This. So it's, yeah. it's very real. It's just, um, we need, so some of the things that somebody might think is goofy is true. And so we can't all write it off just because it sounds so out there. We need to get, we need to do the due diligence of whether there's yeah. the facts to say that it's true or not. Look at those doors. That is, yeah. I know. And I mean, there's lots, there's lots there with the giants. <laughs> oh yeah you're showing just a ton of pictures that it's true yeah yeah well it's in the bible it's in everywhere and now they, they act like it's just mythology but it's not mm -hmm. so very fascinating now you guys wanted to do a series on this i think there is a, a series here i i think that you could easily there's a market for this for people wanting this information and it would be so great to get two people who are you know, people who are serious about this, wanting to bring real information and history to the people. There's such a great opportunity here. I would hope that you guys don't give up on that dream to do a, um, a real series that can get out to the people. Well, if Ancient Aliens could be on for 15 seasons, I think we could do something with this. That's exactly but, right. That's exactly, my husband mm -hmm. said that. I said, you know, I told him your story. He goes, but they're doing all the aliens things. Why can't they do this? <laughs> so yeah, it's exactly. I think the alien, the, the part, part of the issue is that the alien thing is really easy to kind of, um, you know, it's fanciful. It's easy to, to dismiss as being just frivolous. And, you know, it, it, there's so much um, preconceived notions that have been put in people's head about aliens, but with this stuff, the more you start looking into it and you start connecting it to an actual mathematician, to a person who was serious, who was an actual scientist, who, uh, you know, it, it becomes really, it starts getting really close to actual truth. And we found that a lot of networks and especially going into trying to take a, you know, traditional approach, it's really tough because they kind of want the Bigfoot. They want they want the stories of the Loch Ness monster. They just want to regurgitate these kind of urban myths, you know, and, and keep that going. They want it um, to be something. So they we're can write we're off. just trying to find the right platform. Well, you know that there's a lot of scholars, alien scholars that I don't know about a lot, but there has been some serious scholars and some details and information about it. But I don't know if they ever let that go into the right direction either. But um, I, I think that this is something that we deserve to go into, you know, humanity deserves to know true history. I mean, there's, in fact, there's a museum, an interesting little tidbit is that there's a museum in, in Russia that just opened up, uh, I think last year, that's an interactive uh, experience covering Fomenko and his work and um, his kind of reconstruction of the chronology. Um, and it turns out there in Russia, there are a lot of people who are starting to take this more seriously in terms of how their history was intentionally distorted and covered up. And even, even our own CIA uh, has a document talking about 
how the Romanovs basically went overboard with their cover-up job. Like they, they went too hard and, you know, that it's going to cause a lot of issues if they continue. So um, there's a lot of evidence and a lot of stuff to look at. And I encourage anyone to get involved and the more the merrier on this one, because it's a, it's a ton of information. Where can people follow your work? You're starting to do um, a YouTube channel, is that correct? Where you're going to start covering some of this or what are you doing? Well, we're, we're putting up a, a history hack website called, was it historyhack.com? It's not, it's not up yet, but um, if they want to get into now, I just go, I would just go straight to Famango's website, chrono, chronologia.org. Oh, could you send me uh, that? Make sure you click the English I'll have tab. the link below in the, yeah. in the description. Yeah, he's got, he's got, um, he's got, He's got five of the seven volumes all on there on uh, translated in English. The last two, which have to do with the reconstruction, are still in Russian. So we, we've slow going, just kind of translating that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all it's all there. Absolutely. Excellent. And we'll send you the yeah, link. Yeah, send me the link. And do you have a link for anybody to follow your work or is you don't have that up yet? Maybe you can send me that. We're not we're not at, we're not kind of at that point yet. But okay. we're, we're getting there. OK, well, just keep me posted on that and I'll have you back once you're ready to go live so we can talk mm -hmm. about this more because I'm sure you'll have it all packaged and ready to go because this is your passion. So thank you so much for joining me today. I've been excited about this conversation for a while. Next time we got to talk about what you've uncovered on the culture of Tartaria, like what these people were like. Mm -hmm. Have you? Um, it's very interesting. Yeah, yes. Well, wait a minute. Let's spend five minutes. <laughs> what have you learned that these people are like? Well, you know, all, all, all I could say is they can look into sort of the traditional uh, Russian sort of um, the, the way of dress, um, what the, the Romanovs would sort of dress up in these sort of traditional things. And it's very, very interesting. It, it's, it gets a little kind of woo a little bit, but um, it's, it's, it, we'll, we'll talk about it next time. <laughs> yeah, next time. Let's talk about because it it's a whole another hour and a half conversation, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, I would say, look at the, the Romanovs dressed in the traditional Russian uh, garb, and you kind of get an idea sort of how, how strange this culture could have been. Okay, cool. That's the, strange yeah. is kind of fun, isn't it? Because diving in, mm -hmm. it's just a different paradigm. So thank you again so much. And you guys have a wonderful weekend. And I'll send you the link when this is all ready to go. Awesome, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.